Hey, welcome to the Blade Fit Today podcast, where we discuss the lively world of historical fencing and everything else related to the sword arts around the globe. So today we've got um, Joffrey Beeson. You know what? I've, I totally failed. Do you go by Jeffrey or Joffrey? Uh, Jeff is fine. Jeff. Go by yeah. Jeff. Okay. All right. Jeff Beeson. I know because it's the, the classic spelling, right? Okay, yep. well, uh, and we've been sitting here talking this whole time, and our names are sitting there, but okay. So we've got Jeff Beeson. <laughs> Jeff Beeson, he's the chief instructor for Five Circles Martial Arts in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He has studied Japanese martial arts, including swordsmanship, striking, grappling, and general weapons use, the history and the culture for more than 20 years. He has actually managed to lead something, uh, I'm sorry, and he has actually managed to learn something in that time. As an instructor for more than 15 years, he has worked at developing the practice of kenjutsu and contributing to his art. In 2008, he implemented and oversaw a complete curriculum overhaul with his style, mostly because he likes people to do things his way. In 2016, <laughs> Jeff began experimenting with HEMA. You know how that goes, and has since worked to further develop his Japanese swordsmanship using steel weapons against a variety of HEMA styles and practitioners. There's almost nowhere and no one this guy won't fight. And he says he may not win, but we shall see. He believed that practice of Kenjutsu could be elevated and evolved through use of steel sparring and modern protective gear and is working to spread the practice in the Japanese martial arts community Though they mostly think he's a crackpot. <laughs> Jeff, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. No, <laughs> I, I appreciate you using my introduction and 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 uh, and all the humor that that my terrible humor that was baked therein. <laughs> you know, I I love it because I I like to I love self-deprecation. I I do it for myself and um, yeah. I wouldn't do it without your approval. So he gave it to me, folks. And so yeah. I, I and I even toned it down just a little. Bit. <laughs> yeah, I made, I made a lot more fun of myself when I wrote it. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, man, let, let, let's get into it. So um, anyway, uh, you're a very interesting fellow. People in the HEMA community like to watch you fight. Um, you're a subset of a subset of a subset, right? You like martial arts. You like kinjitsu. And you like fighting with guys who also do, you know, traditional uh, European sword arts. And that is a very small <laughs> group of people that could fit into that category. And so I find that actually very fascinating. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you today. Um, and so let's just go ahead and get into, I'm just going to call it sword discipline. Sure. Why swords? Um, I mean, come on, swords are cool. <laughs> swords are cool. No. no, so, um, you know, I, uh, I started, like you said, like you said in the intro about, about 20 odd years ago. Oh God, it's, it's more than that now at this point anyway, but it's been more than 20 years. We'll just leave it at that. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, swords were always something that I was really interested in. Um, and, it was also something that just wasn't readily available in the martial arts world when I was growing up. I mean, there was a Taekwondo school on, on every corner. Um, you could learn karate. Um, but 
there wasn't, you know, I mean, there's this whole martial arts culture out there that we know about through movies and, and comic books and whatever, but, but there's nobody actually teaching it. And so I was always just kind of interested and obsessed uh, with the sword. And then finally I found an instructor that was working on, on teaching Japanese sword work here in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and started with him about 20 years ago. And he and I have been working together ever since. That's interesting. So what I took from that was that because swords are cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> swords are cool. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line is, I mean, and, and I don't know. I mean, why does anybody come to the practice of swordsmanship? I think that, yeah. I think that there is a romantic allure to swordsmanship. Why does anybody stick with swordsmanship? I think that's a deeper question. You know, it's like yeah. when you do find the practice of swordsmanship, why does it resonate with you? For me, uh, you know, why did I come to swordsmanship? Because swords are cool. But why have I stuck with swordsmanship for more than 20 years now? Um, the way I move with the sword, uh, the way that, that, that practice helps me kind of strengthen my body and strengthen my mind and, and work on that discipline has just been something, I mean, I've done a lot of physical disciplines. I've, I've played lots of sports. I've done yoga. I've done, you know, the various cross training. I've done all sorts of exercise and nothing has ever kind of had that unifying effect of of i don't know there's just a there's just a certain something about sword work that that resonates with me in a way that nothing else does it's a very deep well isn't it it is yeah no i i appreciate that answer um and it's you know um i like to ask people about that because it's it is a hard one to quantify why why swords right because i mean if you're doing self-defense no one has swords I mean, unless you happen to, you know, be like on a banana plantation and, you know, sure, <laughs> or sure. something like that. Right. Um, yeah. You know, Haitians would beg to differ. They got machetes everywhere. But, you know, if if, you know, for most of the, the planet now, um, self-defense is not sharpened steel swords. No, um, no. And, 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 you know, and, and then I guess that's a good a good point to, to kind of go to like what, you know, when you look at. Um, swordsmanship or even martial arts as a practice. There are a lot of uh, of aims for martial arts, and self defense is one that's heavily lauded out there. As far as oh well, study study this martial art or that martial art for self defense purposes. But you know, uh, we're all much more likely to be uh, killed by heart disease. Uh, so yeah. I would say that if if I want to save a student's life, I'm much better off having them work out than than teaching them particular techniques i say sometimes the self-defense uh the self-defense aspect of the industry is a uh is a a bunch of insurance salesmen selling policies for something that's probably not likely to really ever happen to somebody um you know so it's like self-defense i i teach self-defense self-defense is something that martial arts can provide you but but that's not my main goal my main goal is is Kind of improve my life, improve myself, and have fun. That's really that's probably the really the top line is I just like to enjoy myself with this with this practice. Well stated, um, and, and that's just it, isn't it? Because it's because it's fun. Does yeah. something need to have a deep practical uh, daily reason for you to get into it and enjoy it 
and try and get good at it and be driven by it? Well, the answer is obviously no. There's all kinds of frivolous things that people do. It brings them joy. Um, but I do think that, that for those who really get into the sword arts, there or the sword disciplines, whatever you want to call it, there is always a challenge that comes. Like every time I pick up a sword, there's always something I want to do with it. It's like you're chasing the perfect golf swing and you're just never quite there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, but the joy that comes from just the chase, right? Sure. Is, is, uh, it's hard to describe. Uh, I, w- I won't try, but it's there. Yeah. There's something. Uh, and I guess what you're saying, the, the romance, right? There is a certain romance to it and, um, it's alluring and, you know, when you're outside and the sun's shining a little bit and the gleam on the blade and all that, it's, I mean, it's so many things, so many things. Absolutely. You've, you, you know, you're, you're in sync with your mind and your body and the, and the sword and you're just doing, you know, certain things and you look good. You know, you look good. People are kind of looking at you like, wow, dude, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, that's what it is. That's what it is for yeah. me. Absolutely. I, no, I think, I think that describes it really well. And, and, you know, it, and it's, it's, yeah, it's something that's, it's something that, that is perpetually challenging too. Like you said, that, that chase of, of the perfect golf swing, you know, um, but it's, it's both that and, and just constantly trying to understand new puzzles on the other side of it Mm. so it's like it's like you know you've got you've got all of these various training partners um and and in in competition you know opponents that that present you i mean even if you do the same style as somebody else everybody moves differently everybody thinks differently and so every confrontation every face-off has got its own unique puzzle and challenge to play with and and it's just endlessly engaging for me. Yeah, well stated. So martial arts, you've been doing this for over 20 years now. And, uh, you know, you started from somewhere. But now mm-hmm. you're the main instructor for Five Circles Martial Arts. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. So, um, you know, I when I started, I... I started out uh, working on three separate disciplines. Um, Kempo is is our system's striking art, um, and then uh, we did uh, we studied kendo techniques at the time, uh, though we didn't adhere strictly to the modern kind of kendo interpretations of the rules. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, kendo as a sport uh, and kind of kind of how the rules work. So uh, kendo as a sport, kind of like Olympic fencing, is very formalistic and has very specific rules and and the types of contacts uh, that are not allowed under the sport um, might be combatively applicable. You know, it's like if I hit somebody in the leg or I hit somebody in the shoulder, that's that's a perfectly dangerous shot with a weapon. Um, but that's not a scoring point under the rules. And so we were studying kendo techniques at the time, but we were using expanded targets and we were using um, basically, basically we were, we were breaking the rules and we were allowed to do anything that we thought was martially applicable 
um rebel more insane yeah i guess more it's more similar to uh to a pre-world war ii style of the practice uh which was called geken or gekiken and uh you know after world war ii japan went through a whole process of demilitarizing and taking the martial out of its martial arts as much as possible so that the occupying force of the u.s didn't keep them from doing it at all it was like okay we want to keep doing our traditional martial arts but we're gonna we're gonna take out the martial piece of it a little bit and we're gonna you know this is a sport or this is a meditative practice mm -hmm. and it's all going to be unified and so there was a lot of evolution of the japanese martial arts post-world war ii uh into a very different direction and so we were trying to look at it from more of a pre-world war ii you know anything goes you know a little bit of grappling any targets uh and so that's what we started with and um and we evolved the book of techniques that we worked and we we started to including cutting mechanics into what we were teaching and 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 studying and and the curriculum developed from there and then um after studying together for about 10 years uh, as you mentioned in your intro uh, i helped lead the curriculum overhaul in 2008 where we just really revamped everything from the ground up and made a very systematic approach to all of the stuff that we had put together, all the stuff that we had learned and wanted to present. Um, and so I helped uh, help lead that that curriculum overhaul. Um, and uh, that was, you know, my big step from kind of just being a student and an assistant instructor to really helping with curriculum development, which was a really interesting uh, process. You know, how do you take all these physical skills and array them along a timeline for somebody's progression to help them kind of master one one bit at a time in some sort of uh, some sort of progressive way it was an interesting mental challenge. But yeah, that's uh, fascinating. And then and then uh, I think we continued on with that for a number of years, and then in about 2018, I think I think about 2018, maybe 2017. Um, I, I became good friends with a gentleman here in town that runs a local uh, HEMA chapter, uh, a chapter of a, a HEMA school. And, um, you know, I told him, oh, I do I do Japanese sword. And, and he's like, OK, well, we should we should do swords sometime. And then I went out to watch them a little bit and saw what they were doing. It's like, oh, you guys hit each other with steel. You're crazy. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? It's like I've been training with with a bamboo sword for for you know 17, 17 years at that point. And I'm like, I don't know that I can get behind this, but you know, I can't I can't really knock it till I tried it. So I let them gear me up and and uh I think the first thing I ever uh I think the first thing I ever sparred steel with, I think I did saber the first time I ever did it just because it was a curved blade. I'm like, all right, this is this is kind of katana-esque. So we'll go with this. Yeah. Um, so I did some saber and uh, and I just, it was absolutely fantastic. It was a lot of fun. And I thought, okay, so we can we can actually use steel to train with. This is, this is something I'd never really even considered doing before. So I go out and I begin my internet search. I'm like, okay, I need a steel sparring katana. And the, at the time, the there was nothing there was just nothing out there um so i started working with a maker in china uh to that that 
they were a production katana maker and they you know i said hey would you be willing to make one to these specs and and eventually i got my hands on, on my first couple of prototypes of a sparring katana and then i was able to get out there and really do what i do with the hema guys locally and i actually took my katana to a, a hema tournament here in oklahoma and they let me play and i just had a great time with it and I thought, you know, there's got to be there's got to be more people out there that want to do this, and and so I I started developing that more, and and now we've changed our curriculum at the school where, uh, you know, we don't require steel because it, you know it's it's kind of one expression or one method, so sometimes yeah. people are uncomfortable with it, or they need to grow into it. Yes. Um, so we do synthetics and, and we still use some, some bamboo from time to time, but steel is now a heavy part of our, our focus and, and it's changed a lot about how we do a lot of things. Yeah, I've learned a lot. About that. The difference between using the, the sticks in the, in the steel, um, what are yeah. some of the differences you, you find? Well, so, so the Shanai the bamboo swords it's made up of four boxed flat pieces of bamboo that are all kind of wrapped together um you you know they're compared to a steel sword i mean this is this is kind of like well yeah duh, but it's uh they're a lot lighter than steel and the biggest place where that comes into play as far as the actual interactions go is in the recovery time um, you know, I, you can be a lot more flippant with flinging your Shania out there, uh, whether or not it's a good shot or whether or not you're fully committed to it, because you're going to be able to pull it right back and have it right back in firing position again, uh, in, in no time at all. But you do that with a steel sword. Every time you swing the, the steel, there's a much more significant amount of time that it takes to get that sword back into a usable position. And it's, there's really an opportunity for the opponent to, to take advantage of that timing. Um, and so the, the very, you know, the commitment level had changed quite a bit. Mm. Um, one of the other things that we discovered was that compared to bamboo, which is very, uh, a Shania is very bouncy. It's very live. Mm -hmm. right it it deflects very very well um steel is very dead in comparison it takes a lot more uh what we would call blade interface to to make the steel move right the mm -hmm. a gentle brush with the side of a shanai is is usually enough to deflect something off course and when i first started working with steel i would do that and i'd still get hit like okay wait something's something's not working and it's like well the sword is flexing the other sword is flexing there's a lot more uh inertia in the material all in all it's just a lot harder to to change those courses uh change those angles of attack and whatnot so the, it required some some significant adjustments to some of our techniques that we did you know, it's really interesting how just going back to how you said that Saber was a lot like uh, a katana and um, just hearing the process of, of your instruction once you started using the steel, right? So you're using, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Shanai and you're, you're going through. You guys call it a Shanai? Uh, yeah, the bamboo sword. Yeah, yeah, Shanai. yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, versus the steel and, and just the differences. And, and it's funny because... Um, training with, with, so I teach British military saber. It's one of the mm -hmm. better things we do. Um, and so we use single stick, 
right? So it, it's, uh, you know, traditionally they would use pieces of ash, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's so much easier to use rattan. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we use. And uh, so we have sticks and steel in our class as well. And there is differences. And all the things you said is, is totally true. The stick just travels so much faster. There's, there's not, uh, it has a different dynamic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is easier to displace. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is faster to, to come right around. And just the way that you approach the attack you can get away with things with the stick that you cannot get away with with the steel. Um, and your defense with the steel, um, you do it a slightly different way, and it's more, um, it's harder to get past the defense in the, mm-hmm. the saber technique. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I just found that really fascinating because, uh, you know, as you're describing the use of, of you know, the, the, the uh, Shanai with, with the use of the steel, um, now, uh, the techniques, though, are a little bit different with the, with the Japanese swordsmanship, isn't it? Um, sure. So the Hema style, um, you know, there's a lot of binds, there's a lot of parries, there's a lot of, you know, checking, all that kind of thing. But from what I understand, that, that's not so much so in the, in the Japanese tradition. And I was wondering if you could just sort of talk about why that is. Well, and, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I will will kind of say, and and it it's it's something that is, I mean, every every grouping of arts is is prone to the generalization, and and so when you look at Japanese swordsmanship, um, there are significant differences between the eras of Japanese swordsmanship, and even then, in within the same era, different styles uh, have some significant differences. Um, and, and even the katana itself, if you're just going to look at the katana, it's not a monolith. It's not one thing, right? It is, you know, the katanas that were in use in the battlefields, uh, in, in the 1600s, thicker, heavier, longer handles, the katanas that were in use for court dueling later in the 1700s. Uh, 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 sh- or sorry, I'm getting my, <laughs> getting my centuries, uh, twisted around. Well, yeah. So 1700s anyway, but later on, uh, the, the court style fencing katanas, as it were, uh, for duels, a lot faster, shorter handles, more often used one handed cause they were used from the draw or kind of as a hand and a half kind of weapon. Uh, so the sword evolved a lot over time, um, depending on what its use was and what its target was, you know, it, uh, it was going to be used against an armored opponent. It tended to have a much thicker spine and much heavier overall mass uh, versus something that was going to be used against an armed opponent. So um, with that said, neither the sword nor the styles are, are really monolithic. So any generalizations I make, anybody will be able to come in and say, oh, but, oh, but, oh, but. Okay, granted. There's always that. So, there's always that um but but with that noted um you know most styles except for emergency interception most styles avoid any edge on edge contact um japanese swords were were historically noted to be very sharp and the steel on the front edge of the sword was was very hard 
and so it was also very prone to chipping and a break was much more likely to occur through the front edge of the sword than it was through the softer steel on the the outsides or the back um and so you will see more side deflection and you will see more spine deflection than you will see uh edge deflection because the edge tended to be a little bit more more fragile um and swords were swords and steel were very expensive um at any point in history in europe had a much much more uh uh much more of a wealth of steel available of iron ore available you know the japanese were pulling it out of sand as it were and smelting it down and getting what they could out of it they were able to make decent swords out of what really was terrible terrible steel um through the processes they created i mean that was really the magic of japanese smiths was was the fact that they were able to make a decent sword out of the steel that they had to use. Um, but uh, so a lot of those techniques, I think, you know, and, and historians will argue and differ, but were driven by kind of the nature of the sword. Katanas were also compared to things like sabers or, or especially later long swords. Um, they were very rigid. They were not flexible uh, at all. And so, um you didn't need the structure of the edge to deflect with you know a lot of swords that are very flexible need that structure of the the edge and the broads or the you know that linear part of the blade to kind of drive into the deflection katanas are very uh, are made to be very inflexible uh so they can effectively parry with the sides and that that was one of the biggest struggles that we had in coming up with a, a sparring katana is that you know a lot of people really want flexibility uh, in the thrust with their blades, but then yeah. you immediately start to reduce its effectiveness doing Japanese-style techniques. Very tricky balancing act. But isn't that interesting? Yeah, because yeah. uh, you you appreciate a flexible blade when you when you suffer a thrust, but but for the parry, you you want that different characteristic, yeah. just like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, that, you yeah. know what? I didn't even think of that. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So let's, let's, let's paint a little picture here. So let's okay. say that, uh, that I'm in Tulsa and I, you know, I'm starry eyed. I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> martial arts, here I come. Like, so I'm a student and I, and I come in, um, for the, for the first time, like what could I expect as a student just walking in, uh, in your, now, so we, we, uh, we, uh, we have a really great space that we train in. It's this really large, uh, kind of gymnasium auditorium at one of the community centers here in town. Uh, I like teaching from a community center because it allows us to make our program very accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, we've got this really great large space. You walk in and there's these huge, this huge vaulted ceiling with these big wooden arches and it's really old i don't know it has kind of almost a cathedral kind of feel to it um it's cool and uh and yeah i mean usually we have a, a very small tight-knit group there's probably six or seven of us in any given class and um and our arts the way that we train at five circles martial arts i mean sword is is one of our five uh disciplines and so i've got students that on any given night where we run our classes holistically so all of our arts practice together um so on any one night i have students that are working striking and grappling fencing uh working on other weapons other than the sword um and so you'll walk in and they'll just be what looks like 
controlled chaos. <laughs> there's stuff going on all over the place. Everybody's doing something yes. different and everywhere you look, there's something interesting to, to see. Um, and then I, uh, you know, I come in and, and get people introduced and usually um, start people out with just an understanding of all of the arts that we teach and, and their interconnections. One of our big principles behind our program is that uh, we want to help students understand universal motion and universal combat mechanics and that a swing of the arm in a particular way could be a hand strike, it could be a stick strike, it could be a sword cut, it could be a shoulder throw. It really doesn't matter. What we're learning is we're learning how to use our bodies to generate combat energy. Mm. And once you learn how to effectively and efficiently use your body, then that opens the doors into whatever techniques you want to study. Um, conversely, you can look at a, at a technique you've never seen before and you can say, oh, well, I, I've never seen it done that way before, but I can tell you're getting energy because you're moving your hips like this and you're creating rotation with your shoulders like this. And then you've got a little bit of a forward lean like this. And so that's how you're making that happen. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Fascinating. No, it, it does. And I, and I really like the, the idea of, you know, whether you have a sword in your hand or not, power generation comes from the same basic place and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so you could still, you could, obviously it's, it's not the same effect, you know, with sword versus stick or even sword versus hand, obviously, but the mechanics, right. Mm -hmm. Where that power comes from, it's, it's all related. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's, 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 that's kind of an important thing. Um, and you know, when I, when I see <sighs> historical martial arts and, and I don't want anyone to feel like I'm looking um, down on anybody or anything, you know, this, this is a positive show. We're all supportive about people's journey. I find that, that there's a certain, uh, um, group of people that really enjoy HEMA and it, it, they want to try it out. Um, mm -hmm. a lot of those people, uh, don't have, <clears throat> I'm going to borrow a phrase here. It's called, um, uh, physical literacy. They don't have the mm -hmm. physical literacy to really understand it. Um, very deeply but you know they get into what they perceive the mechanics of this thing according to this manual right and so they do mm -hmm. some things and they're looking pretty good except they're not really generating the power here or there you could tell like the, the there's the the understanding of it might be going here or there and it's for them to figure out and explore and and uh and you know you do it ten thousand times you get really good at it and so i i want everyone to feel like you know, they have the room to, to grow and expand like that. Um, mm. Where was I going with the, with the setup? But uh, but anyway, the, the idea of what you're talking about, understanding where the power comes from in this mechanic, right? The human sure. body is the same. Like we all have two arms, two legs, a torso, right? Our head's connected through everything with the spine. And there's only so much we can do. And there's universal principles of generating power and uh, each style kind of does it a little bit differently, but there's only so many ways to kind of move to, to, to get it going. And it's sure. really, it's, it's, it's good to understand the principles of power generation as a general understanding. And then the, the specific moves that you learn, you know, whether it's Distrezzer, Lichtenhauer, Fjord, whoever, right? It's just, it's that much easier for you. Sure, sure. 
No, and that and that's you know, and so when we start people out, we start people out in a um, what we call a universal studies. Uh, their first level is a universal studies level. So at white belt, you know, it, it would be white belt in our program. They study a little bit of everything, uh, but mostly in order to study the connections between everything. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I'm teaching them, okay, here's, here's the hand strikes that you're going to learn at this particular level of your practice. But every time you do a hand strike, I want you to also be imagining how to use that same body mechanic if a stick were in your hand, mm. you know, and every time you're swinging a stick, look at, you know, if I'm swinging from this angle and I didn't have a stick in my hand, would I still be able to deliver, deliver energy with this body structure? Um, because the answer should be yes, right? I mean, because that you know, to to borrow a very common phrase from the community, there's only so many ways to move the human body. Um, and I will go further and say, okay, there are only so many ways to move the human body. There are even less ways to move the human body effectively. There are even fewer ways amongst that group to move it effectively and efficiently. And now, once you get down to, I can move my body effectively and efficiently, the rest of the choices that you're making are strategic choices, not technical choices, mm -hmm. right? The technique is the technique. It's, you know, you can, now right. we can argue over some really fine tuned <laughs> stuff. I mean, there, there are plenty of Japanese uh, swordsmen out there that will watch a video and go, well, his pinky is out of position. It's like, okay, sure. yes, we can okay. we can get down to that nitpicky <laughs> kind of level. But you know, when we're talking really more about the the essence and the core of physical movement, that yeah. we it's not that big a universe. Is there really a superior uh, brand of jeans? <laughs> It's a good, yeah, good analogy, good question. You know, you know I mean, everyone loves the genes they love, and they and it yeah. works for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. Um, because ultimately, when you are contesting somebody in the ring, it's not this style versus that style. It's this. It's this. Um, I don't want to say combatant because we're not really combatants. Yes. But it's it's yes, it's yes. this person facing off with this person it's mono yeah. and mono and that's why yeah. it's so cool right so um and no one learns in a vacuum right and in fact these no. old masters didn't learn in a vacuum no. um they are a product of their time and place and they were just genius and dedicated enough to like put it all together and um especially and some of them were just geniuses at marketing Right. Well, that's part of it, isn't it? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, how many historical records do we have nowadays? Because that was just the guy that was speaking the loudest and wrote the most books. You yeah. know, that it is not to say that all the historical masters and all the historical sources are are just marketing endeavors. But, but it I, is though. I mean, it's not, it, I mean, it's like it's like here's my style, and they went about promoting it, and they went about you know, and so it's like you know. To think that it was any different then than it is nowadays, right. that that the styles that are successful and the styles that are widely shared aren't helped out by a little bit of just marketing pizzazz, mm -hmm. you know, that that's an awfully uh, an awfully narrow view to take, I think. But right. And, anyway, and sorry, that's no. <laughs> I'm you. glad okay. you said that because you know you took the words out of my mouth. There is a lot of like as a martial arts school instructor, yeah, like 
okay, this is what we do. How do I make it irresistible to people? Like, what do I say? What's my secret sauce, right? Yeah. So, of course, these guys wrote that in. And I'm not saying that it's uh, that they were disingenuous. It's just no. they had to have some kind of flair, right? Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes the process becomes a thing unto itself. And yeah. um, so you're talking, okay, this pinky, no, a pinky needs to be here or there. And it's like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and there's a difference between, between, you know, this is how my instructor said was the right way to do it. And, and well, let's go back, like, go back to, I mean, like you said, you know, what's, how, what's the best pair of jeans, you know, it, there, there is no right way. There are effective and ineffective methods for a stated objective. It's like, I want to, I want to accomplish this. Okay. Show me how you're going to accomplish this. I'm going to accomplish this by doing this. Okay. Well, what you did accomplished what you said it was going to accomplish. It is effective. Now, is it the most efficient? Can we make that better? Can we make it so that you can achieve your goal faster or with greater, uh, you know, a greater rate of success or anything like that, you know, but but at its core, it's like, look, that that's the only measure that really matters is what's the goal of the thing and did it achieve the goal? Right. After strategic that, strategic decisions. Yeah. After that, it's all just about refinement. And Jeff, I'm afraid we're making a whole bunch of people upset right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I do. No, I'm, um, no, yeah. you can love your pair of jeans because they sure. work the best for you. Um, mm-hmm. And whatever that is, right, whatever your martial art is, right, and it works for you, that's great. Keep mm-hmm. doing it. Be the best at that, right? Absolutely. Um, but people will differ. And, oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, and not everybody, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that are really uh, genuinely after uh, a connection to history. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, look, I don't really... You know, I mean, and so to to speak from my own orbit and my own universe, the Koryu martial arts, K-O-R-Y-U, Koryu, it means ancient or old styles. Uh, but the those styles of Japanese swordsmanship, mostly, and I'm not I'm going to not generalize and say all, but mostly exist for purposes of historic preservation. They are trying to maintain the practice as it has been practiced, as close to as it has been practiced for as long as it's been practiced, you know, for the last few hundred years or whatever. And there is nothing. I I mean, that that's a fabulous endeavor. And so when when somebody from one of those arts says, if you're practicing my art, your pinky needs to be here. They're saying that because historically that's how it was done and we are trying to maintain the purity of the history of our practice we're trying to maintain the continuity of our teaching yeah. and that's a great endeavor it's a we wonderful endeavor that. absolutely and and but i think the leap that a lot of students and actually a, a lot of the instructors in those arts know that mission instinctively and they know that thoroughly. And when you say, okay, well, I do it differently. They're like, well, you're not doing my art. So I don't care if you do it differently. But a lot of the students of those arts that maybe haven't come that far along in the journey go out and they say, oh, well, you're doing it wrong. 
and you're doing it wrong and you're doing it wrong. It's like, but I don't do your style. So how do you know I'm you, you, you're judging me based on an, on a, you're using a yardstick that I'm, I'm using the metric system, man. You're in an entirely different measurement group here. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's interesting how, how folks will take their mission, their stated goals, their teachings, and apply those across the board when it's like, whoa, hang on. That's, that's not what we do here. Um, and that's okay. You know, and then there are a lot of artists that I've gotten to know over the last few years with with my involvement in the community that uh, will just toss out history and and culture. And I like I don't care what I don't care if this is Filipino or European or Japanese. Show me something cool to do with this weapon in my hand <laughs> and I'm going to integrate it into whatever it is that is the soup of my brain and my fighting knowledge. And, and I, I probably won't even remember where I learned it or, or why I learned it that way. I just, Hey, I learned this cool move. And because all they care about is effective combat art, as far as they can define it and as far as they can figure it out, it really doesn't matter where they get it from. It's like um, Corsair pirate octopus style, just <laughs> soak it in. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, so it's like, and and there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, it's like we each get to explore this and have this journey, however I the think, hell we want to have. I even think those people who do that successfully, I mean, who do it well, because mm-hmm. let's get serious. Some people use that as an excuse to not be disciplined. True. Um, and you know, I think both you and I, we're into discipline. Like you, you have to make it work. It's got to make sense. Yep. Um, yep. But the people who could successfully just absorb all these different styles and techniques, those to me are the hardest to fence. Mm -hmm. You can't read them as easy. Sure. Sure. No. And, and, you know, and our tradition at, at five circles, martial arts, the way that we, the way that our curriculum is structured and the way that we practiced, we, I mean, like steel fencing, we were challenged by the concept of steel fencing and, and the exploration of fighting with a katana that was made of metal. And so we went back and we changed our curriculum. And it's like, you know, Mm. that's not something you can do when what you're trying to do is preserve history. You can't, your, your art can't be a living art in that it can't evolve and change with the stated goals of the practitioners that are doing it today. And I've had students before that come in and they're, you know, Filipino practitioners or HEMA practitioners, and then they're now joining our style and they're like, hey, look, I like what you got there, but if you tweak this or you add this or, hey, you should add this concept in, things will come in and things will go out and things will evolve in our curriculum because, you know, we learn and we evolve and and, and our art is an evolving system. And, and so I have students that have been with me for, for, 10, 15 years. And the art that they study today is not the art that they started studying. Yeah. Uh, and it's something different now and it's evolved because, uh, because that's the way we approach it. And, and because what we're after is, uh, our most effective martial expression of this sword. Uh, and, and there can be a lot of areas of a lot of sources of inspiration for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I but that. Yeah. we still want to have a system and we still want to be disciplined and we still want to make sure that that what we're doing 
you know, the curriculum presents a progression that will take somebody from, from no physical intelligence and no skill in the thing and, and walks them step by step to where they need to go. Yeah, well, right. So you're, you're talking iterative instead of totally revolutionary. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the natural world is like that, too. I mean, look at dolphins and sharks. They look mm-hmm. very similar um, because, you know, stresses have created them to look a certain way, right? Um, mm-hmm. The same with uh, if you look at spider fangs versus uh, snake fangs, right? Th- those two things are not directly related, but they are designed and function exactly the same way even though the, mm-hmm. the the poisons themselves are different the and the the anatomy of those animals are totally different but they go about things the same way so you know it, it is very important i think to preserve these these uh these legacy um sword arts and all martial arts that we have because it's important to always have them and understand them and be able to dip into them um but who's to say that what we've been given as what it it's represented as, Hey, this is the way that it's been for all of these years. Has it though? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, and that's, I mean, that's absolutely true. And the reality is, is that, you know, I mean, human beings and our just core education and our core understanding of the world has changed dramatically. And so, you know, I mean, a human being today is not the same thing as a human being 400 years ago. I mean, there are even yep. demonstrable historical physical differences in, in average size brains and, and brains are small. Yeah. <laughs> we're losing so, our, our yeah. third molars. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're, we're changing over time and we're certainly mentally very different. You know, yeah. we just don't see the world the same way as our ancestors yeah. do. And so it's like, even if you're exposed to the exact same material taught in the exact same way, how can you possibly interpret it the same when you come from such different, you know, perspectives, everything goes through your own lens. How can you think that you interpreted that exactly the same way? But I, I, I'm absolutely for preserving the history and looking back to whatever sources we can find as sources of knowledge and inspiration. Right as a starting point yeah and but not the end of the journey right and you know hema has a an interesting layer on top of that because we're just rediscovering and we're trying to recreate and understand so in that sense i think it is important you know that um the scholarly work is super important if that wasn't there if we didn't have the superstars today who didn't dip into that we, we wouldn't have what we have. And, um, you know, we have to be appreciative of that. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, like, like, how do we know that, that what we have been given, like, like kind of like what you were saying before, how do we know that's how commonly or at least commonly amongst the experts, how do we know that that is what they did? We don't. We take it on assumption, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you got to file that away in the back of your mind. Sure. Um, if you're doing something that works, that's similar, that, that, um, that, you know, if, if you were to pull it off and someone said, Oh, is that a, you know, is that a, this, or is that a, that you're in the right ballpark. You're doing it right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, and I think again, it, you know, it's, it, I think you can find, uh, you can find those sources of technique and the sources of inspiration, uh, in, in all, in, in a number of different sources, but I mean, even, so like even something as direct as, you know, something my instructor has taught me, there is the way that he taught me and there's the way that he understands it. And then I take that and I apply that and I apply that yeah. hundreds of times and I make adjustments because my understanding of it for my body is that I need to do this in this particular timing in this particular way mm. to make it function for me. Yeah. And, and, you know, most of that we do unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Most of those, you know, it's like he and I will study a technique together and then, you know, we'll go about teaching our students and living our daily lives and we'll come back and it'll be five years later and he'll watch me do this technique he hasn't really watched me do in about five years. And he'll go, why do you do it like that? And I'll go, well, isn't that how you taught it to me? And then we both go, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, wait, how is this? How have I evolved this technique just through my own practice and application completely unconscious from the words and the demonstration that you originally gave me? And right. is my technique still effective? Yes. Is it possibly more efficient because I've optimized it for myself? Yes. Yeah. And when we go to teach the next generation of students, is my slightly modified version the better version or is his modified version the better version or what will probably be happen is that student will kind of evolve their own third interpretation of it and that's well, all yeah i like i like what you're saying there because you know we progress right we progress we're not we don't live in a vacuum so our understanding of, of basic things we progress but also i would submit that it's not just us progressing the people that we uh, practice against right that changes the technique a little bit I'll, and, and sure. just an example of this okay I, I guess i love you know likening things to other, other deals so um i play halo right okay um, yeah, i'm one yeah. of the og halo guys now um you know i'm an adult now i got a lot of things going on so they've got the the master chief collection right well i can go and play a legacy game it's the same as it was before and I knew how to play this particular uh, this this uh, particular map, right? And with yeah. you know uh, similar buddies, like I know what the role is supposed to do. I know the style. I know how to win on this map. So yeah. I go to play it five years later. It's totally changed the way that you win, just based on the players. And the thing mm -hmm. that I used to do a certain way somehow isn't quite as effective as it was when I dialed it in you know, 10 years ago, like, why mm -hmm. is it different now? And it's just the people that you go against, it just kind of shifts and changes. And it's not that the principle in the book has changed that that hasn't changed, right? Mm -hmm. What has changed is, I don't know what you call it, just the soup, the zeitgeist, the something, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. anyway, uh, that could also be something that affects the way that say like we're doing that swear chow even the word right like we used to call yeah. it 
Zwerchow. Now we're calling it Zwerchow or, you know, I am a terrible pronunciation. Like our <laughs> understanding of these things change, right? Um, yeah. And so yeah. the, the methods have their, their small deviations and it depends on who you're fighting against. Like five years ago, like you're saying, if I, if I, tw- if I tried a, um, a Zwerchow against somebody and I tried it today, I better do a Zwerchow or else it's not going to work, even though yeah. it's supposed to be the same move. Well, and that's, you know, that's, that's, I like those examples because it, it, to use another analogy, like, like people think of martial arts sometimes in the search of, uh, of like, I'm going to find the best martial art, which is such a folly of a, of an exercise. Um, because martial arts is inherently kind of like rock, paper, scissors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, man, I've been, I've been using scissors for years and I always win. And that's because I always go up against people that are using paper. And then that one guy comes along and uses rock and I'm screwed. And it's like, wow, <laughs> what do I need to do? Oh, I need to use paper. That thing that I've been beating people that use that all the time. Now that's the thing I need to do. And like, I had a, I had some great discussions with a friend of mine that was just a just an old school judo guy for years, and he was talking about the cycles in judo where you know I mean because if you if you if you want to be like honest about yourself as a competitor in a lot of these sports, you can only really physically optimize a few techniques to pull off via muscle memory on command at a time. You yeah. cannot have a library of techniques at your command when you're fencing, you've got some stuff that are your go-tos, the stuff yeah. that you really will do under pressure. And it's a very limited set of techniques. And so he was talking about how in judo. Oh, absolutely. You switch. <laughs> yeah. But he was talking about how in judo, you know, they've had the same book of movements and throws you know, from the time of the founding of judo, for the most part, very little evolution in the moves that are used. But in the competitions, you have, you know, one set of techniques that's winning. And, and then people will kind of go back to the lab, and they'll come back to competition. And the techniques that were winning last time are now going to be losing because people are going to be optimized to do the Mm -hmm. techniques that are really good against those. And so now those techniques are the winning techniques. And everybody goes back and says, Okay, Everybody's doing Osotogari now. So we gotta we gotta train to defend against and counteract Osotogari. And so they come back to the competitions and, and it's this and it's the they do this cycle where where the winning techniques for the next time are really gonna be the ones that are designed to to beat the techniques that were the winning techniques that were designed, you know, and it just goes around and around and around. And I think swordsmanship and fencing is much the same way people get into certain rhythms. They see certain things in competition being super successful. They go back and they optimize those techniques. Uh, and, and kind of those are the winning techniques for the moment. And then everybody goes, okay, I know everybody's going to be throwing that technique. So I'm going to try to do the thing that's going to be best to response to that. And you'll, you'll get more of a cycle. That's an um, excellent way to put it. And, and again, it's like, you know, it, you, it, especially martial arts, like we love our library of techniques and we love the breadth of our knowledge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like I try to dissuade my students from the idea that they're going to be able to make decisions in real time uh, about 
one of a series of techniques to use. It's like, no, 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 no. We study all of this in a breadth of understanding and, and to enjoy the exploration of martial arts. But if you want to be a competitor, you need to have two or three go-tos that you can execute flawlessly and with full commitment and, and hope that that was hope that you came to a paper fight with some scissors, right? <laughs> you know, instead you of a just, rock fight, instead of a rock. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. And I, I appreciate how, how you said that. Um, you know, I, I come from a you know, football background. So, you know, my coach would say, oh, yeah, the bread and butter stuff, right? Do your bread and butter. Mm. Um, yeah. Your go to's right. Because, yeah, there's only so much room for that go-to, right? Because it's it's you're operating faster than the speed of conscious decision making, right? It's just yes. boom, it's there. Your body yeah. has to see it before you can before you can crunch it in your mind, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we've had this uh, conversation about like all these moves and stuff, and you know, Hema's dead and blah 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 blah. Which, which, <laughs> Which I totally disagree with. So what did we learn from this? Like like, like this, this thing we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes, which is amazing. What do we take away? Like what's the actionable thing? Or, or is there? Keep practicing? Like that's, that's basically it, huh? Well, I, you know, I think, I think the takeaway for me is to get away from the idea that there's a right answer and, and okay. set set your set your aims set your goals and then measure your effectiveness against those goals that's it you know and yeah. and and know that there are you know there are many paths <laughs> to the top of the mountain um and and you know and then when when your technique is not serving your goals or when your training is not serving your goals you know don't double down find another path, you know, mm-hmm. explore something new to change the way that you're doing it. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's the, the lesson, uh, you know, the, the halo lesson and the lesson that, 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 you know, that we've been talking about, you know, I, when I first went into the HEMA school, I, uh, you know, shocked people because they would try to faint and get me to do something and I just wouldn't move because there was no real commitment to their technique and like, Oh, well, this works all the time on, on folks. So, you know, I put my sword out there and they bring their sword out to meet me. And then we do some stuff in the middle. It's like, I don't want to do stuff in the middle. I'm going to sit back here <laughs> until either you give me an opening or you're fully committed to your attack. That's, that's the only way one of these two things is going to happen. Um, and so they had to completely readjust the way that they approached me which they did. And then they killed me a lot. It was great. Um, <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta look at your goal and, and then just measure your effectiveness against it and adapt whatever it is you're doing. And fight lots of different people. Fight lots of different people. It's so much fun. Yeah, it is. And I, yeah, I mean, that maybe that's the lazy person's way to, to, to get out of the rut you're in it's really fun to spar with like your, your go-to sparring partners. It gets very comfortable. You get to read them, they get to read you. And there's a certain Mm -hmm. um, journey 
um, and even a, a certain amount of mastery that comes from that, right? Um, but it, yeah. but it is like you're saying, it's important that you gotta try new things, try different things, and it's yeah. easier to accomplish that when there's a totally new person or someone you haven't you haven't across swords with for a while. You know, mm-hmm. circle back, find those opportunities, face those guys, um, and you learn you know more about yourself and you know um, your techniques, your timing, like what what's working, like your overall strategy. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, being totally aggressive works and sometimes it doesn't. And certain people it works better and some people it yeah. doesn't work. Um, yeah. And you know, yeah, you, you, you know, you I mean, I, I, get, I get so excited myself when like and, and sometimes I think sparring partners that don't know me really well that are sparring with me for the first time they they may get a little weirded out but i get really excited when somebody gets me in an unexpected way and i'm like what what just happened that was awesome do that again and because you know, <laughs> if, I, if i engage one of my techniques or one of my strategies and i'm successful that's just confirmation bias it's just like me reinforcing what i already know it's like that's boring if you defeat me in a way that I was not expecting, I have got to see that again. And I get so excited about that. I'm like, Ooh, Ooh. And yeah. So yeah. Challenge, find, find those new opportunities and challenge your preconceptions and challenge what you think, you know, and be open to change. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Super cool. So uh, speaking of open to change, so um, you've got, you know, you, you, you've got your martial arts dojo, uh, house <laughs> studio um but you also are involved in a collaboration right so what is that called and what do you guys do so so we've got a group that's called oklahoma open fencing um and really it really just came from that relationship between my school kind of butting into the the whole steel fencing world and then our local hema school and we wanted to find more opportunities to cross train but we also wanted to see if we could bring in, you know, anybody that might be interested. Um, and so once a month we have these, these training meets where basically we've got a three hour session. And for the first hour, hour and a half, uh, we introduce a universal concept, footwork, uh, combat distance, uh, combat paths, cutting mechanics, whatever it may be. Uh, and, and say, okay, here's, here's universal ideas about this principle. Now, all the instructors that are here tonight are going to give a stylistic perspective. So, okay, we talked universal. Now let's hear how HEMA looks at it. Now let's hear how Japanese swordsmanship looks at it. Oh, the Filipino guys are here tonight. Let's hear a Filipino perspective. Oh, the Buher guys are here tonight. Let's hear what <laughs> they think of this. And, and the collaboration, and then it's kind of like, after that universal introduction, it's kind of a workshop where we all share a little bit of knowledge. And I'll tell you, 90% of the time, we're all surprised more by how we're all saying the same thing than we are by how we're saying different things. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we do that workshop. And then the second hour and a half, we just gear up and, and wail on each other. And it's like, find a partner, find a weapon, you know, pick something up you don't normally use, go out there and and I mean, we've had uh, our local Olympic fencers come and, you know, they'll get out there and they'll they'll try out swords that are much heavier than anything they've ever dealt with before. And meanwhile, the Japanese students are picking up foils and trying to figure out how to 
how to do this swishy poke thing. And it's just the collaboration is a lot of fun and, and the sharing spirit is a lot of fun. And it's, it's been something that's been really rewarding to be a part of. That sounds like a huge blast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll be honest with you. I mean, that, that sounds amazing. Um, yeah, that, that is super cool collaborative. Um, so guys, just so you know, uh, there will be links to all this stuff in the, in the, in the show notes. So, um, you know, when, when we release this, you know, be sure that you're, you're look you're, you're checking those out. Um, you know, I was, uh, just circling back. I, I was looking at, at, um, those steel swords that, that you, you get produced and I was actually surprised they come in a set. Uh huh. That blew me away because just coming from, you know, the, the, the HEMA world, it's like you, you buy the sword, you know, like rapier and dagger, for example, they're like, oh yeah, you know, there's this dagger and there's this rapier. But you have this really cool thing, right, where you've got your katana and wakasashi like all together and they match and they just look so sweet. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, man, I got to do this. This is so cool. I can whip out one and whip out the other. And yeah, you know, yeah. uh, kind of like rapier and dagger, although I'm not sure if that's a thing. But initially that like instinctually, I'm yeah. Like, yeah, the shorter yeah. one, the longer one, the on hand, the off hand. Yeah. Um, well, and so we, we actually the the Akato Armory Swords, we, we have four standard lengths of sword that we offer. Um, so you, you have your traditional katana primarily intended as a two-handed weapon, but is is functional as a one-handed weapon. Um, and um, and then we kind of, and then the, the second sword, which is kind of very, very common, is the wakazashi, which is, you know, that's your offhand weapon. And yes, the two-sword style, that's something that we love to, we love to train with and love to practice. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, just just wakazashis just the two wakazashi against one another and doing you know that's that's more of the close combat you know normally you didn't have your katana on your hip at all times if you went into some household or some business you'd leave your sword at the door and or you know with somebody to take care of it and you would just have your sidearm and so wakazashi versus wakazashi the short sword battles especially where that offhand deflection mm -hmm. and grappling gets to be a lot more important that game's a lot of fun the two sword game's a lot of fun um we have an okatana which is really just japanese for big katana um and and there's a few japanese terms out there that people sometimes use for a longer katana a nodachi or an odachi and there's a whole conversation we can have about etymology and terminology but yeah. uh the okatana that we designed was specifically to be uh similar in characteristics for weight and balance and flexibility to uh, a lot of popular fetter models okay. because we wanted to have a sword that would fit into those competitions and into those spaces. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So it's not really super historical in its dimensions. It's a little bit of a Neither are fetters. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but we wanted They're way longer than uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to make a katana that would fit, you know, not that every competition would be like, oh, yeah, bring your katana to our competition. But when we first started getting into this, the reach disadvantage between the katana and the fetters out there was just too big a disadvantage to overcome on a regular basis. And so I was like, OK, we need a long sword. Um, so we made the O katana specifically to some fetter specs. 
And then we have an in-between sword in between the katana and wakazashi, which is a ko-katana or a small katana. And that one we actually uh, put out there as kind of, op, you know, a longer sword than, than the sidearm, but more optimized for one-hand use. Mm, um, cool. So that that sword could be a really good for quick draw practice. Um, or if you wanted to do two equal length weapons, because a lot of like the Filipino styles... Uh, yeah. They really like an equal length weapon in both hands. Mm -hmm. And so rather than, you know, offhand, main hand, long sword, short sword, we wanted to have a sword that would be a really optimized for equal length in the same hand. And so that's why we have those four swords. And so, yeah, you can buy the katana, you can buy the traditional Daisho, the Wakazashi and katana set, or you can buy the whole four sword set, uh, you know, or we can mix and match and we can do custom stuff and you know, whatever you want. You want something? I'll make it happen for you. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Well, I mean, just, you know, I just clicked on the side and boom, there it was, you know, pretty colors. And, you know, the two, like two swords for like just under 400 bucks. I thought, man, that's, that's reasonable. Well, and that, you know, okay. So when we got into it from a business perspective, um, we had, uh, when we looked at what we wanted to accomplish, we had um, two, two markets that we were kind of approaching. There is a Japanese sword practitioner who has never done steel work before. And this is something new and different and probably going to be costly for them to get into when they already probably have a lot of money invested in the gear they've got. Or we have HEMA practitioners that also have some interest in, you know, they do steel fencing, but they have some interest in Japanese swords, but this will probably be a third or fourth weapon uh, to their arsenal and probably not their main practice. So with both of these groups of people, price sensitivity was going to be really high. Yeah. So we really set out to make them as affordable as possible. Um, that was our first and primary goal was to make them affordable because it's an, it's a new niche. Like you said, it's a subset of a subset of a subset. Um, and so we wanted to get rid of the barriers to entry. So one of the things that we did was rather than uh, try to build all of our fittings and all of that sort of stuff from the ground up, we went to a production katana manufacturer and we said, okay, what standard parts do you already have? No That's changes smart. necessary yeah. that we can use off the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so we started with that. And some of the parts that we tried, some of the, the hand guards and stuff like that were not suited to task. They were too thin, too light, not really intended for heavy contact. And so we went through five or six generations of the sword, uh, picking the parts and picking the things to optimize. But again, sticking with those already on the market standard parts. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's kind of how we got to the affordability point that we did. Yeah. Um, because again, we're not, you know, it's like if I had to go out and say, okay, I need you to custom cut a, a hand guard for me or custom mold a hand guard for me, that's going to add 60 or $70 per sword because I have to, either that, or I'm going to have to invest a whole bunch of money up front to order a few thousand units or whatever, you know? Right. So, so that, that's how we did it. the way to go for affordability. Um, and especially when there's, you know, in the production katana market, unlike in, you know, I mean, there are, there are production European swords out there that, that might be able to be used, but, um, but there are so many production katana parts just available on the market for relatively yeah. cheap. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we were able to accomplish that affordability goal. Nice. Um, 
you know, are there some elements of the sword that, that, uh, you know, if we wanted to tack an extra hundred or $200 onto the price, could we have, uh, could we have accomplished a few more things? Maybe, but I was really happy with what we accomplished with the price point that we got to. It was really kind of exciting. Well, they look good. Um, yep. and I, and I was impressed. I mean, the, the pictures look good. I, I haven't seen them, but, uh, uh, you know, with my real eyes, I'd love to, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's i'm not asking for that but uh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I might i might uh i might get <laughs> i mean i don't know well i like the first camps the two camps you were talking about the first mm-hmm. one it's like you know is this something i want to try in the second one it's like ah, i might be in that second category yeah. it just looks yeah. so fun so i've got i've got a buddy that i spar all the time and he's really good um and he's not like like scholarly trained in anything like he's got karate background and the dude he's like so hard to read and he just strikes like a jaguar and um uh, so he comes from like i've mentioned before a karate background and he he has um you know the 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 plastic katanas and you know i've who doesn't have a plastic katana from you know cold steel or whatever i've got yeah, yeah, yeah and and uh so anyway when we use those to get into it there's a level of intensity it's so fun because you you have to close just a little bit closer and Mm -hmm. you know less distance means quicker time and just you've got to be so fast you got to be so quick and it's just hair everything's a hair trigger and anyway it's just a blast it's just a blast Mm -hmm. so i saw the steel ones and i thought oh man that's just gotta be that much more it's just gotta be so cool it, so, it, it is a lot of fun. I'm, you know, yeah. obviously I'm personally addicted to it and an advocate of it because, you know, <laughs> I've, I've spent a lot of time and effort doing it. So, um, but yeah, I, I actually have a, a couple of uh, uh, review tester models that I, I ship around everybody. So I'll see if I can't get some out to you for you to play with. Yeah, that, that'd be fun. And, um, you know, I've got a YouTube channel and I'll give you like an honest review as well. So um great yeah yeah no that, that that'd be cool i'd love to do that um yeah uh yeah so they they do look cool um also uh let's see what do we, we there's one more thing and i gotta read this because it's uh it's like there's this one more thing and i, th- and I thought it was kind of important but um i won't stall too too much longer um, okay, so we talked about your school. We t- oh, the geese. Yeah, it's on the on the same oh, thing. It's yeah. on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, so those geese look really fascinating. So the concept is is you you well, I mean, if it's this Japanese art, you gotta look Japanese or at least Japanese esque, right? So the yeah. geese sort of has to match and, and pay honor to the tradition that it comes from. So tell us a little bit about how you derived. You know, what are the characteristics and why do they look like that? Well, so the, uh, and, and specifically talking about the fencing gi, like what I'm wearing right now is one of our, our training gi, uh, this would just be for, for just non, non, uh, combative practice, but the, the fencing gi, the, basically the kind of the Japanese version of a HEMA jacket, right? Um, we kind of actually went the opposite design perspective on our gi from what we did with our swords. So with our swords, we took the production katana you know traditional just you know katanas that were being made and we're like okay we're going to tweak it so it's usable in a hema context um because we wanted it to feel as much like a sword as possible with our fencing gi we went the other direction we started with hema jackets because 
when it comes to the jackets, the safety is the most important part. Like I want it to look right, but I, it needs to have the right safety features and it needs to be constructed in a way that I know is safe. Um, so we started with a, we started from the HEMA jackets uh, from the HEMA side. So rather than take a Japanese sword and make it so it could be steel fencing, we took a steel fencing jacket and modified it so it looked somewhat Japanese. Um, and so, I mean, really, it, it's it's got a nice kind of cool quilted pattern, kind of a Masashi jacket style uh, quilting pattern to it, as far as the the look of it goes. Yeah. Um, but and then it it has a crossover lapel like a traditional gi does. So the 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 lapel goes from the left side of your neck down to the right side of your hip. But that other side of the lapel is actually a false a false lapel. It's really just a, it's almost just a HEMA jacket with a diagonal zipper on it is what it is. Um, so you get a really good Japanese gi look, um, but it has all the same protective features and it has the same protective construction for steel fencing jackets that are already out there in wide use. Um, and so and with that, we worked with a with a manufacturer of HEMA jackets and said, hey, you know, would you work with us to develop uh, a fencing jacket that just is like what you already make, but is a in a Japanese kind of looking style to it? And yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think a lot of the fans of Japanese martial arts out there, a lot of the Japanese martial artists, um, you know, when you talk about how like how the swords look or how the jackets look, the aesthetic is very much a part of those arts. Like, oh, yeah. like the visual aesthetic in Japanese martial arts is is ingrained, and so it's like It'll you kick can't you out you, if the knot is wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. And so we wanted to do as much as we could to to you know bring in that style and bring in that homage uh, to to those traditions. While on the jacket side, yeah, we definitely wanted to maintain that. You know, steel fencing jackets have existed for a couple of decades now or more, and there have been a lot of lessons learned, and there's a lot of development that's gone into that. So there was no reason to recreate that wheel. <laughs> we definitely wanted to start with something we knew would be good for our, our customers there. Yeah. Now, let me uh, mess around with this program a little bit, um, kind okay. of changing the way this thing looks. What I'm trying to do is share the screen because I, I pulled it up and if I can't do this in the in the next couple of seconds then um then uh, let's see ah uh, shoot I thought I was going to be all clever I'm gonna have to uh, play around no with this a little bit later um don't worry gonna... the link to the website is in the show notes so that's right it's in there, the show notes <laughs> um, for video viewers I was going to show you they're really attractive looking geese um Thank you. and yeah no um <clears throat> yeah they're they're pretty darn cool and I I have a long waist and so HEMA jackets never quite go down the way that mm -hmm. I want them to. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind mm -hmm. of in the market for a new one anyway. So anyway, no. I was kind of, so you you've so there's two padded ones, right? You've got the lighter one and the heavy one. And what yep. like so in in uh in this first generation of jackets, the the really the only difference between the the light jacket and the heavy jacket is an extra layer of padding. Okay. Um and so uh the light jacket's a little more mobile um and and uh but you're, you're gonna feel your shots a little bit more if you're mm -hmm. the type of person that wears uh 
rigid protection along your arms and underneath your jacket, the light jacket is probably more than enough. Um, you know, if, if you just want to wear your gloves and forearms and elbows, and you're really not worried about your upper arms or, or, or you don't wear any protection on your upper arms or on your collarbone or whatever, you may want the heavy jacket to get that a little additional padding. I personally, I have both. Um, I use my light jacket probably 80% of the time. And I use my heavy jacket when I don't know the people I'm sparring with. <laughs> That's probably pretty smart. It's like, I, know, if I, I don't know. know what you're coming at me with. I might go ahead and put on an extra layer of protection as it were. Probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, so yeah, again, probably for the fourth time, guys. I got uh, links; they'll be in the show notes. Um, if you if you want to check it out, check it out. They are really attractive looking, um, and uh, yeah, they 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 look really nice. Um, okay, so one more one more thing. Um, quick advice: someone who's brand new, they want to get into the sword discipline, any sword discipline. What are some tips that you would recommend for them? Um, so anybody that wants to get into sword discipline, uh, and is kind of first starting out, um, my, the, the biggest tip that I could give is come in with, uh, with enthusiasm and, and kind of bring your heart to it because, a lot of people are in, are intimidated when they first go into a HEMA school or they first go into a martial arts school and they see all this stuff going on and they don't feel like they belong. And if you come into a martial arts school with even a spark of enthusiasm, the instructor's eyes will go wide, the other students will recognize it in you, and you will get hugged into the group faster than you can possibly imagine. Man, if you go in and you're like, I have really excited to be here. I'm so glad to be with you guys. Boom. You're part of the group. Congratulations. Here's a sword. Let's go. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, so it's like, and most of the time, you know, as instructors and fellow students, somebody new comes in and they're timid. We're like, we're trying to bring you out of your shell. It's like, no, you're here. You're cool. Here's a sword. Let's go. Um, trust me, as, as intimidating as the practice may look, we're all a bunch of, of softies and we're all a bunch of sword loving nerds. And we are just so happy to have another person out there on the floor with us. So come at it with some gusto and, and, and you will be enveloped very quickly. The other thing that I would say to people is that, uh, you know, don't, don't shop for, for, you know, don't shop for medals. Don't shop for, for reputation don't shop for you know who's the biggest billy badass on the block right go to these various places and find your tribe right i will yes. you know it's like you could have the best martial art and the best instructor in the world and if you do not vibe with them if you're not having fun you're not going to stick with it it won't matter what they teach you because you're not going to be there very long so when you go out and you look for these these various groups and you look to get into this, look for people that you gel with. Look for people that you can like, like, hey, I do want to hang out with these people six to eight hours a week or whatever we do as far as training goes. You know, these are the type of people I want to be with. And that's really what you should, you know, when you're selecting what to begin, there's, there's going to be 
a span, you know, I mean, some schools are beginning good at one thing or good at another thing, and you might have goals in those regards, and that's fine. Just make sure that that what you really look for is a place that you feel like you can belong, because that's what will help you turn it from a momentary hobby and fascination into uh, something that you can be a part of and, and really make a change in your life, really make a difference for you. Good advice, brother. Yeah, it is, right? Because, it, you know, you get a medal. Is that really going to make you happy? It might. It might. I mean, temporarily. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, checklist. Good. Done that. I feel good about myself. I did this thing. But if it's but if it's a but if it's a, you know, a, a scalp that you want to hang on your wall, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't make you happy. man. It's it, like mm-hmm. you said, it is the try for sure. Great advice. Great advice. Final thoughts. Um, you know, uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for, you know, sharing the, the love of, of blade fit and blade sport and, and just the study of the sword. Um, and you know, I, I personally, one of the main reasons I do this is because, uh, I'm a community builder and I believe in community and relationships. So anybody that's listening to this, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm not hard to find. I'm, I'm freaking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're interested and you want to know more or you just want to chat, don't hesitate to reach out to me because right. I'll, I'll, I'd love having a conversation with just about anybody that's got an interest and a passion. Cool. You know, we didn't even talk about sticks and steel Facebook group uh, and, that's <laughs> oh, where, and that's where I met yeah. really. And, uh, yeah. So creator, maybe moderator anyway, one of them, uh, sticks and steel. Um, that's a very popular place. It's a, it's, it's a great, um, mixer, all kinds of different martial arts peoples are in there and they're just mixing it up and they're talking. So it's a super cool Facebook group. If you're into that. Um, yeah, and that's where I met Jeff and that's where you'll find him. And there's other places as well. Okay, uh, Jeff Beeson, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, uh, thank you so much for joining us at the Blade Fit Today podcast. And I'm just going to sign off and say, slay your demons, guys, and I'll catch you on the next one. Everyone, take care.